Well, let's just have a a moment's prayer and then you can be seated and we'll start. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we are uh, weak and needy sinners uh, and we come to you now uh, with empty hands uh, seeking to receive from you. Present Christ to us now by the power of your spirit and through your word. Draw many in this moment, this morning, to come to him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you keep that passage open in front of you in the Gospel of Matthew, I I will be preaching, yes, from those last couple of verses this morning. Well, we've not long passed Christmas and New Year, and I'm sure most of us gave and received invitations invitations to come for dinner or to come to a party, invitations to gather with family and friends at people's houses, invitations to come to church perhaps. Now invitations can be general invitations like the general invitation to come to our Calvary Grace conference next weekend. That's a general invitation. But invitations can also be personal, especially when someone speaks to you and asks you directly. In fact, I would say that it is part of Christian hospitality to offer invitations to others. We can be very casual, um, say we have an open house, but we don't specifically make the invitation to people to come to our house. Invitations are nice to receive. Sometimes you might even get a, a fancy card with a wedding invitation, and at the end, what does it say? RSVP. Responde, si vous play. It's only polite to reply. And here in the text today are some of Jesus' most famous words, and he gives an invitation, an invitation that is both general and personal. Now, his words here are spoken in time and in space to people, to actual people. These were people, the likes of whom had heard his most unforgettable sermon, Sermon on the Mount, yeah? People amongst whom he'd raised the dead people, some of whom had ignored his miracles and healings. These were spoken to a people in unrest and upheaval. They're looking for a Messiah who would bring them peace. These words, this invitation is spoken to a real people back then, and yet they are the words of our now risen Savior. And so, if you like, they echo down the centuries as he speaks personally to every one of us every man, woman, and child today. And friends, I submit to you, here is the most important invitation you will ever receive. The most important invitation you will ever receive. I want every one of you here today to hear Jesus' voice saying to you, come to me. Come to me. Back in verse 27, Jesus reveals that God the Father has given all things into his hands. And after Jesus rises from the dead at the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, when someone in authority calls you to come, a commanding officer, a boss, a policeman, when they call you to come, it's serious to ignore their words, right? But it's particularly grieving when the one who calls you to come loves you so much 
can fulfill your deepest needs, is full of wisdom and intends only to do you good, and is God himself. Do we think that we know better and to turn away from that invitation? Just look at the heart behind Jesus' words. Verse 25, I thank you, Father. He's full of joy, and he's keen to invite people to himself. This is a willing and and glad invitation. Jesus' great desire is to give pleasure to his people and to take their burdens. He is a good shepherd. Remember the, the, the parable of the lost sheep and how the shepherd goes to look for the one in a hundred. And what was, what was his response on finding the sheep? It was joy. And that's Jesus' spirit. He is the shepherd who wants to carry his sheep home. That's a great picture. Now these words here have been traditionally called the comfortable words of Jesus, the comfortable words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how they've been known in the church. Now, of course, not all of his words are comfortable. A few verses earlier, in verse 20 and onwards, he pronounces woes on those who won't repent. They are quite uncomfortable words. But these words before us today are comfortable in the biblical sense of comfort. They are words that give strength in weakness. They give hope for despair. They're words that, that tell you that Jesus alone can make the Heavenly Father known to you. And he says, come to me. And when he says, come to me, he's saying, unburden your needs to me. I can give you rest in restlessness. This morning, some of you are restless. You're restless because you're not coming to Jesus. Some of you are restless because you think you've come, but in reality, you haven't come. And some of you have come to Jesus, but you're experiencing restlessness, and you need to be reminded to stay there, coming to Him, in yoke with Him, thrilled with His love for you, and resting in Him. My desire this morning is God's Word, by His Spirit, will clarify where you each are in relation to Jesus and that he will lead you to an assurance in coming to him, coming to Christ. So I want to look at this invitation from Jesus, come to me, and I want to ask three questions, three simple questions about it. The first is, who is invited to come? And it's, you've got the, the outline there in your handout. First, who is invited to come to Christ? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, these are not the usual dinner guests, right? They're not the life of the party kind of people. You know, think of people you're going to invite to your house. We invite the people, you know, life of the party. The people that's going to uplift us. These are hard work people, difficult to love, people who have problems, problems that are difficult to work through, people who require patience, people like you and me. Those who are invited are those who labor. That is, they are worn out under pressure. And they, they carry heavy burdens, burdens as the outcasts of society, the lame, the blind, the beggars, under the social oppression of, uh, of Roman governors, suffering from the financial pressure of tax collectors, and mostly conscious of the fact that they cannot live up to the law of God 
and even the legalism of the Pharisees that is placed upon them. And that is what re dead religion will do. It will burden you. So, so these people who are invited are burdened by the guilt of sin and transgressions. And isn't that the way today? People worn down by poor leadership, by financial worries, by a lack of understanding of true gospel preaching in the church, true gospel preaching. So then they are crushed by personal guilt. Even if, if they don't know the Bible, the law of God is written on the conscience. These burdens, kind of burdens, we're talking about general life burdens in a fallen world, family relationships, difficult to navigate, your failed efforts to do better, your past and present guilt for sins, even those secret sins. Pastor Rob was talking about the Lord sees, even the secret sins that only he sees. And so many people are worn down, and they're burdened by a nagging sense of restlessness, this struggle to find peace and security and identity. But what you need to know is that Jesus knows that we have burdens, and he knows we have burdens we cannot bear. So are you laboring and heavy laden this morning. Jesus knows your burdens. Think of John 4, John chapter 4. Think of the Samaritan woman. Think of how the fact that she was alone at the well was a reminder of that social stigma of her promiscuity. And Jesus takes her burden and offers her water that she will never thirst again. And do you remember what she did? She went away and she told the people of the town, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. See, he knows everything you've ever done. He knows the guilt and weight that you carry. He knows you've got burdens that you can't bear. And so Jesus says, come to me. It's a free invitation. You don't need to pay anything or qualify in any way. Just come as you are. We could say it's a, a free and a universal invitation. Come, all of you. Yet it is specific. You who labor and are heavy laden, you see, you must be conscious of your need to come, or else you will not come. How is it universal uh, if not all come, you might ask? Because I know lots of you are like asking questions. Well, just because all don't come, it doesn't mean the invitation is insufficient. If you're invited to a wedding and you don't go, there's nothing lacking in the invitation. So then let's look at this further through the second question. What does it mean to accept the invitation? What does it mean to come to Christ? And this is of primary importance, friends. Some of you may have been awakened, even convicted of sin, but you haven't come to Christ. The devil gets in there and tempts you to be concerned about secondary things, even good things, but you haven't come to Christ. And if you have not come to Christ, you lack everything, even with all your moral rectitude and all your concern for justice. And some might say they have come to Christ, but they haven't consulted Scripture to see what that means, and so they are self-deceived. 
and they have not come to Christ. And on Judgment Day, they will hear the terrifying words of Jesus in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. Imagine that. And they will say, but look, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. We volunteered at greeting at church. Uh, We did the coffee. We cleared the snow. We helped in Sunday school. We preached a sermon. And he will say, yes, you did all these things for me, but you never came to me. And this is possible, you know. To go your whole life in church doing things for Jesus whilst never having come to Jesus. And this is a warning for everyone and anyone who does not come to Christ. The alternative is an eternity without the favorable presence of Christ, instead staying under God's judgment in hell. And I don't say this to upset you. I say it to warn you. Some of you in here may be in great spiritual danger, and you need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see your self-deception. And for those who have come to Christ, what should this sermon do but produce deeper gratitude for what the Lord has done for you in yoking you to His Son, and it should keep you staying there, coming to Christ and abiding in Him. And it should encourage you in your witness because when you say to people, we believe men and women must come to Christ, and when they say to you, what do you mean, you can answer them. You can tell them. We're going to be talking about next week about evangelism and witnessing to to outsiders, but can you tell a person what it means to come to Christ? So what does it mean to come to Christ? Well, firstly... Let's see what it's not. Let's see what it doesn't mean. Coming to Christ is not a physical act. Coming to Christ does not mean coming to church. Just because you've come to church this morning, it does not mean you've come to Christ. Coming to Christ does not mean being baptized. Coming to Christ does not mean responding to an altar call or praying a sinner's prayer. No one was ever converted by stepping into a building or getting out of a seat or going forward in a service or being dunked underwater or repeating a set prayer. You see, if it's a physical act, then I don't need the Father to draw me, do I? As Jesus says, no one can come to me unless The Father who sent me draws him. A few verses earlier, here in Matthew 11, Jesus tells us the Father chooses whom he reveals the kingdom to. And Jesus Jesus chooses whom he reveals the Father to. You see, if coming to Christ is a physical act, I don't need that inward operation of God by the Holy Spirit to move me. I simply need enough courage and enough effort. But you may ask again, because I know you like your questions in here. If it's a universal offer to come to Christ, but God only chooses some, how is it universal? Well, the invitation is universal because all should come to Christ. There is a summons in the invitation. But the base fact is, 
None will come to Christ unless God graciously moves them to come to Christ. Because man is naturally opposed to Christ, and man is naturally apart from Christ, and God is not obligated to choose anyone to come, so it is so gracious that He chooses some to come. For coming to Christ is not a physical act. Coming to Christ is also not just an intellectual act. It's not a physical act. It's not just an intellectual act, an intellectual ascent. This is where thousands remain deceived. Thousands. They hear the gospel. They assent to the truths. They've been brought up in a Christian home, maybe. They are told they're saved, but they never came to Christ. Christ and His gospel has remained that theological construct up there, a principle in the mind, but they've never met Him personally. What does Jesus say? You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. You can know the Bible, you can assent to its truth, but it can remain only an intellectual assent without coming to Christ. One preacher used a good illustration here. It's like getting on a, an airplane for a flight. You are trusting a system, not the pilot. You trust that there is a trained pilot in the cockpit. You trust the system of the airline, that they've trained that pilot properly, and there's gas in the tank, and the Mechanics are right, but you don't know the pilot personally. Most of us don't even see the pilot. We're trusting that there's a pilot in there when we take off. True faith requires personal knowledge of Christ, real trust in Him as a person. Of course, you need to know true things about Christ, but the devil intellectually knows those things, but he does not come to Christ. Coming to Christ then is not physical. It's not merely intellectual. And finally, coming to Christ, as we're digging out the weeds here of what it is not, it's not a mystical notion. It's not some vague belief, a vague feeling like, I feel Him. I feel like God is with me. I feel like I've come to Christ. For me, Christ is like this, and I like to think that way. And yeah, no, it's based on revealed truth in Scripture. As he says, the Scriptures bear witness about me. It's impossible to come to Christ if you don't know the Christ of the Bible, who He is, why He came, what He did to save sinners, what His offices are, what His promises are, and so on. The one to whom you are to come is the one revealed in His Word. So search the Scriptures to find Christ, then come to Him not a vague figment of your own imagination. So coming to Christ isn't a physical act. It isn't an intellectual ascent. It's not a mystical notion. What then does it mean to come to Christ? Well, to come to Christ, simply put, means to believe upon the person of Christ. In John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. You see that? He interchanges coming and believing as the same thing. Coming to Christ is believing in Christ. That's how I get coming means believing. Believing in the person of Christ. They're the same things. When we come to Christ, we are drawn to active faith by Christ as He offers Himself in the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Drawn to active faith in Christ as He offers Himself in the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. The old men would call this closing with Christ. The Puritans, closing with Christ. I ask you, have you closed with Christ? Are you sealed to Christ? Have you closed the distance between you and Christ? Have you come to Christ? But to come to Christ means first recognizing your need for Christ, your your lack and His sufficiency. Notice the first four Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, a little earlier in Matthew's Gospel. They speak of emptiness, poverty of spirit, Mourning of sin, meekness of spirit, and hungering and thirsting of soul. You see, only when you realize you're empty will you come to be filled. All are invited, a universal offer. But those who come are those who realize they have been laboring fruitlessly to get right with God, and they are burdened by their guilt of sin and not being right with God, and that only God can meet their need through Jesus. They come like children, which Jesus says to do in these words a little earlier here. What are children? They are needy. They're needy. Are you a sin-sick soul who knows his or her desperate need? I'm talking to you children. Do you know your need? Do you know your need for Jesus? Have you come to Jesus in repentance and faith? Or or are you simply a convicted soul? You see, conviction is not the same as coming. Many are convicted, but they will not come. Conviction of sin wanes. You see it all the time in the culture. People get convicted of something they've done wrong, but it wanes. Conviction wanes, but coming to Christ lasts. Jesus says it himself, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. A true coming to Christ. Yes, there'll be a conviction, but there will be a repentance and faith, a believing upon him, a closing with him, and he will never cast you out. So, it means recognizing your need. It also means recognizing that coming means surrender. Coming means submission. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. The yoke was this heavy wooden bar that went across the neck of an ox or a couple of oxen so the the work could be shared between the two. And with the shared yoke, a weaker ox would be paired with a stronger, more experienced one. And the older one then would guide the younger, weaker one in obeying the master's commands. And that older one would take the strain. And Jesus is speaking here of being yoked to him, being joined to him, united to him, under his lordship in order to do the will of God. Many years ago, some of you may remember, we saw what was known in the church as the lordship controversy. 
the view that you could have Christ as Savior, and later on you make Him your Lord. Let me tell you, you don't have Christ as your Savior without Him being your Lord. If He's not your Lord, He's not your Savior. You see, the invitation, I don't know if you noticed, is a dual invitation. Come to me, take my yoke. Come to me, take my yoke. You can't come and not be yoked. Only being yoked to Christ as your master can you obey God as his child. And you see, he takes the strain and gives you the strength. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Christian life involves a yoke and a burden, but they belong to Christ, my yoke, my burden. And it's an easy yoke and a light burden. What does he mean here? Well, it's only a difficult yoke if you chafe against it. If you chafe against it. And here's where many struggle. They'll take the forgiveness, but they don't, they don't want the Lordship of Christ. They want to carry on their own way. Unsubmissive people remain restless. They remain restless, worrying, trying to think through every problem, work out every difficult providence without accepting Christ's yoke and resting in Him during the difficult problem and handing it over to Him. Some of you here today, you need to surrender so that even in the hard suffering and the hardship of following Christ in God's providences, and He gives us difficult providences as we're in yoke, yoked with Jesus because Jesus walked a difficult path. Even in that, if you put His yoke upon you and you're led by Him, you can have a lightness of spirit because it's His yoke and His burden. He bears it for us if we will, not, if we will just but roll it onto Him. So coming to Christ means that you recognize your need. And coming to Christ means complete surrender to His Lordship. And coming to Christ also means commitment. Learn from me, Jesus says. Coming to Christ means not simply becoming a student. There's a difference, right? Learning in that sense. It's more than that. The sense here is becoming an apprentice. Because apprentices become like their masters. It means becoming like him, modeling his way of thinking and pattern of life. Christ teaches us truth about himself, but also the one that we embrace, Christ, we become more like. He's not satisfied that you know the Bible better, that you have more wisdom. He's satisfied when you are more like him that you remind people of Him, that you point people to Him. Isn't that the case with those that we are closest with? We become like them. Google this. There have even been studies done that say people begin to look like their dogs. Google it. I Googled it. It's true. It's frightening. Especially if you've got an ugly dog. Married couples... My wife and I do this all the time now. The, many years together, you think each other's thoughts 
after one another. You finish each other's sentences. You see something on TV or in a movie, and it, you turn to each other. That reminds me of so... And they're finishing your sentence. Because you're yoked to them, because you've spent so much time with them, you begin to be like them. And so coming to Jesus begins with, means we begin to look like Jesus. So coming to Christ is not physical, intellectual, or mystical. Coming means recognizing your need and His sufficiency. It means surrender to His Lordship, and it means commitment to His way. So finally, let us look at this Christ who invites us to Himself, and let's look at what He provides for us. And that's the final question. To whom are we invited to come, and what does He provide? Well, He says, come to me. No one else can provide what you need, not new circumstances, not a new job, not a new diet or a new book. He says, I will give you rest. Come to me. He says, I will give you rest. That's what he provides. Not a physical rest, but he rests for your souls. Now, how would Jesus have understood rest? Think about it. How would Jesus have understood rest? He would have understood it as the rest of God, the rest of God, in the creation of God. God creates the heavens and earth and everything in it, doesn't He, in six days. And what does He do on the seventh? He rests. So the seventh day functions as the day of the perfect creation of God that has no malfunctions and everything is perfect in that rest. So on the seventh day, God rests. And in that perfect world, the man and the woman were to live and work and are commanded to expand the borders of Eden by multiplying and having dominion, living the whole of working life out of rest. Because it's only from a strong position of rest, you see, and stability that you can actually create effective force and power. But the serpent comes to destroy that harmony, and Adam sins and destroys that rest. And the whole of the biblical narrative is a story of man's restlessness, his restless condition, with a promise in Genesis 3.15 of one who will come and bring rest. And Noah's ark promises rest, and Noah's name means rest. The exodus and the Mosaic Covenant include the observance of the Sabbath day, all a promise of rest. And Jesus says, I am the one in all the, who in all the promises of God are yes. And the oldest promise in the book from Genesis 3.15 is met in Jesus Christ. I will give you rest. That's what he means. And so how does he give rest? Well, he gives rest by fulfilling and obeying the law of God for you and me. Matthew 5.17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we don't have to earn our place with God anymore. God requires perfection, and Christ is perfect for us. That's a relief from labor, isn't it? That's enough to give you rest. And if God is pleased with you because of Jesus' works, you don't have to go around trying to be something you're not 
or people-pleasing. And some of you are tired today because you can't say no to people. And you can't say no because you think God or other people won't like you if you do. No, Jesus' works justify you, not yours. And Christ also gives you rest by taking that burden of guilt and the penalty for your sin that you can't bear. On the cross, God forsakes him so that you will not be forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the curses promised in the Old Testament against those who disobey God's law, those like you and me, poured out on his son, guilt is gone, wrath absorbed, burden lifted. Because Christ was restless in Gethsemane. You know his soul was sorrowful even to death. He enters into our restlessness as he contemplates the wrath of restlessness he would bear for sinners at Calvary so that you and I can experience rest. Because God forsook Christ on the cross. You and I can rest in the fact he'll never forsake us again. You're never alone again. And as the risen and ascended Christ, seated at the right hand of God, he enjoys the rest in heaven, even now with the promise of his return and a final eternal rest for all his people in the new heavens and the new earth. So we can now know, if we come to Christ, the rest of a future kingdom breaking into our present day realities And that rest, I submit to you, friends, is the springboard to fight your sin and to fulfill the Great Commission. I know that as I have experienced deep trials in this past year, it is resting on Christ that has provided the stability that then God has produced increasing fruit of the Spirit like self-control. Resting in Him is the source of the fruit. So it's like the the vine and the branches. You abide in the vine. Look at the vine. Don't be looking at the fruit. Look at the vine. Rest in Him. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. It was his spiritual secret. They say of him when he he said he he stopped focusing uh, on his faith and started focusing on his Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, that directly after Jesus promises rest in Matthew 11, you can look at it for yourself. We see in Matthew 12, what do you see? The Sabbath day controversies. And what's Jesus doing? He's taking laboring and burdened people marred by sin, and on the Sabbath day, he brings them back to rest in God. Jesus gives soul rest because in Jesus, the Sabbath rest is restored and fulfilled. So Jesus Christ says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. So how will you respond? How will you RSVP to this invitation? Will you say, in a while, it's not the right time today. I'm talking about now, this moment. Because these Jesus words you now. It's not the right time not today. No, now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Will you respond by saying, I'm not worthy? Well, no one is. 
There is not one worthy person who ever came to Christ. So that shouldn't stop you. What about, you might say, it's too late for me. And I'm going to say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Some of you might say, I've hardened too much. Have I hardened too much? Maybe the fact that you're asking that question proves that you haven't come to him, but you haven't hardened too much. And some of you might say, I've tried to come. I pray and I can't. Well, stop focusing on coming to Christ and start focusing on Christ. You see the the difference. And so, therefore, I'll leave you with Christ himself. Do you know him, friends? This passage, you know, alone in Scripture is where Jesus reveals his heart. It's the only place where he reveals his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is meek, you know, Jesus. Not weak. He has all authority. But he is humble. And if you don't know Jesus like this, you don't know him. And if you're not growing more like him in gentleness and lowliness of heart, you've not come to him. But a bruised reed, he will not break when they come. The worst sinner, he will not turn away when they come. The deepest backslider, he loves to restore when they come. Prostitutes and lepers, the educated and uneducated, the rich and the poor, Roman soldiers, tax collectors, murderers like Paul. Such was Christ's meekness that anyone could come to him. Isn't it interesting that it says in the Scriptures, Moses was the meekest of men. And, and yet there was, a, there was something about Moses that was almost untouchable. You don't see the prostitutes coming to him or the leopards or, or all of this cross-section of, of society because Christ is the better Moses. There is such a meekness that anyone can come to him. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same Jesus Christ. You've got to know that. And you this morning, you may never be closer to God than you are right now. Don't wait. Don't presume you have tomorrow. I exhort you to close with Christ. Close the gap between you and Him. Run to Him. Jump into His arms arms that are outstretched for you. He will certainly catch you. Look at what a loving Christ He is. I am gentle and lowly in heart. said to someone uh, a little while ago, Giving them some counsel, and uh, and they had a, uh, an issue, and I, I said, "What do you think Christ would say to you if uh, if he was here right now?" And the person said, um, "Don't be anxious." I said, "No," he'd say, "Come, come," and then he would say, when he's got you in his grip, "Don't be anxious, I've got you." but you've got to come. Happened for me, you know. I was 18 years old, 18-year-old boy. I'd heard of Christ, but I had never heard his voice, and I'd never met him personally. Then 
One Sunday night in the minister's house in southeast London, I heard him say, come to me, come to me. This moves me now to, to hear that. And he opened my heart. I was self-sufficient, restless, a young man just trying to achieve goals. And he helped me realize this, my desperate need and the good news that Christ alone could meet it. He spoke to me by his spirit. And you know, when I went to him, whoa, how he received me. He saw me coming, opened his arms to me. I saw the scars on his hands, my name written in them. He met me with tears, wept on my neck, took off my rags, robed me with his royal robes of righteousness, kissed me, called me by name, called me his friend, brother, sheep, beloved, gave me his yoke and became my teacher. And I was free. Free. So friends, Jesus is better than good. Better than pff, any words a man could use to describe him. And if you've come to him truly, you will never regret it. You might be tempted to go back sometimes, but you'll find that you're embraced by a love that won't let you go. You'll find trials at times overwhelming, but in the storm on the sea, you'll be able to go to the bottom of the boat where Jesus is sleeping and rest your head on his lap. So Jesus invites you now, every one of you, man, woman, boy, girl, come to me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Oh, Father, move by your spirit now amongst your people. Draw people to come to Christ. Seal them to him. Close them with him. Well, just a reminder that we do have uh, the newcomer's lunch with Pastor Josh directly after the service downstairs. Um, and I just urge you all this morning, you've, you've heard the very words of Jesus, his invitation, personal invitation to each one of you. I urge you to come to Christ and to close with Christ in that way. And if you've come to Christ and you know you have, keep pressing into Christ, his yoke upon you and learning to, to be like him. And just as a word of a benediction, those words again from Jesus in the Gospel of John, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a rock-solid promise. He will not cast you out. Come to him. You're dismissed.